Hey everyone, welcome to the new media show. My name is Todd Cochran. Of course, I'm joined by my co-host, Mr. Rob Greenlee. Rob, good morning. It's uh feels like it's been just a few short days. <laughs> yeah, it has. <laughs> they do come around fast, but uh Thanksgiving's behind us and I guess uh, Black Friday, and so now we're cleanly off to Christmas now, right? Yeah. So did you <laughs> did you buy anything for Black Friday? Uh, did I buy anything for Black Friday? I don't. Well, not directly for Black Friday. There's just <laughs> things that I bought otherwise, but not because of Black Friday. No. I got a uh, fourteen ninety five Husky screwdriver set, and what else did I get? Uh, oh, I did have to pick up a, uh, some, a battery for my, uh, electric drill, which had died. <laughs> you get two for one. So that was a good deal. <laughs> I, I think that's the extent of my, uh, my, uh, my holiday shopping. <laughs> yeah, I did, uh, try and find an adapter wire, um, for my new MV7 microphone. That's that new, um, sure mic right um to use with an iphone because it doesn't it only has an adapter to use um the usb c port so so you have to go out and get a different adapter if you trrrs or something to that effect i'm sure right and but i couldn't find one that had any kind of length to it i could find a bunch oh, of them yeah, that went, short <laughs> went from a mini usb to a uh to to the um let, let to, me guess you found ones that are about port. three inches long. <laughs> well, I had to get an adapter. So I had to get one that had like a full USB on one end and the lightning port on the other side. Right. Yep. And then get a regular USB wire that, that, uh, actually was the mini USB. So I had to put that together. So that was a little bit of a mistake that sure made, I think by going with that, <clears throat> that, that adapter, that mini USB, which I think is kind of going out. So. Well, um, you stuff what you can into the space you have. And sometimes, right. and also some of that licensing on, especially if it's an Apple port. Right. Costs more money. So drives the price up 30 bucks or something. But I think. So just know if you get that sure MV7 that, uh, and you want to use it with your iPhone or something like that, you're going to have to get an adapter cable because it doesn't come in the box. Gotcha. Yeah. Well, I'm looking at my uh, my inbox this morning. I loaded it mm -hmm. up here in preparation for the show. I've only got a thousand and seventy five emails. Is that all? Todd? That, that's it. That's all I've got to go through. <laughs> so, what else are you going to do today? <laughs> <laughs> now, that's on my personal email on Raw Voice email. I've got forty six that actually have to be responded to, and that's still a lot. For a holiday yeah. weekend, so I'm just like, oh my god, come on! You guys, take so are those all customers wanting? Uh... It's tickets. It's you know, who knows? You know, it's it runs the gambit. You know, of course, the rest of the world didn't take Thursday and Friday off. You know, the rest of the world continued moving. So you know, I got some emails. Why aren't you responding? But right. but you know, it was really amazing. Was the number of people that called our support line and or emailed us on the on thursday i mean it was it, it's always incredible to me incredible to me to see that because i think people are like hanging out the house and oh yeah i oh. had people wanting to do 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 calls and meetings on thursday yeah too. me too so, yeah right 
So it's, you know, and I actually had someone that was running through our phone tree, you know, like number, try one support, didn't get anybody, try two sales, they get anybody, you know, number three, try Todd, you know, so that's, you know, that, and I kept having these calls come in on Thanksgiving. I'm like, in past years, I probably would have answered. Right. But this year I said, nope, I'm not, I'm not doing it. And I didn't answer any calls on Thursday. So if they didn't leave a voicemail, they're not going to get a ring back. But we, you know, we traditionally um, hit, uh, treat Friday as a holiday and uh, give the employees t the day off. Right. Todd, are you using um, this Calendly technology kind of stuff? I know that there's a variety of companies out there offering this kind of stuff to help you with your calendar. I do Calendly for... Uh, personal consultations and booking mm -hmm. people to be interviewed. That's the two ways yeah. I use it. Yeah, that's how I use it mostly too. But I've been using it a lot more just for um, regular meetings too because that helps streamline that, trying to figure <laughs> out what day and time problem. <laughs> My problem is is that um, I, have to, I have to keep going in there and giving exceptions. Like I forgot to take Thanksgiving off the, oh, off of off the, the, calendar. Off right. the calendar and someone booked an interview on Wednesday night for a Thursday interview. And I'm just, I didn't even notice the email. I just saw it here a few minutes ago. I replied to him and said, Hey, uh, that was my bus for not blocking that day out. Can you pick right. another date? Yeah. But they were expecting to have an interview at Thursday at 1230 in the afternoon. So, you know, I was, I was, uh, fort full deep into Turkey and dressing. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'll bet you were. Yeah. Yeah. Did you get your teleprompter in? Is it up and running? It's, it's not installed yet. I'm, oh, okay. I'm going to have to um, move some stuff around in my office. And I, just yeah. I just haven't taken the time to pull my desk back further away from the wall and they, they and don't, make, that stuff doesn't, room for it. that stuff doesn't take up any space at all. It doesn't. <laughs> yeah. Really? You're probably going to really? lose about another really? six or seven inches. Right. Really? Yeah, exactly. Really? That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Yeah. My, my little setup here will not support that. If I did, I'd have to move the monitor over there and I'd be looking over there all the time. But yeah, I, I mean, it's not going to make a huge difference. Um, it's going to add probably six, eight inches to the right. backside of the, of the camera. Yeah. But that's about it. So I just pull the desk back probably about, you know, eight inches or so and it'll fit. But, but yeah, it's, yeah. I mean, I'm looking forward to getting it set up and seeing what I can do with it. Sure. Um, I may need to get a, like a Android tablet or something like that with it, but I'm not quite sure yet. I mean, I've got an Android tablet right now, but it may not be big enough. It's only a seven inch screen. I don't know if so. I mentioned on the previous show, but um, with everything going on in here and all the electronics, I've got UPSs and a variety of stuff all over the place. And the main UPS that protects the TriCaster, which mm -hmm. you think about, it's a $20,000 box. Right. You, you know, and you're in, and I, requires well they gently suggest a certain type of um mm -hmm. ups for it and mm -hmm. uh, the specific manufacturer cyberdeck and i like cyberdeck products but the cyberdeck i've had in there for oh, a long time uh the other day failed on me and it wasn't the battery that failed the actual ups failed so I've been uh, telling my listeners in my regular show, hey, if if you're going to donate, this is this is the time to donate. That's a five hundred and forty dollar replacement wow. item, wow. you know. So there goes the Mac Mini I was going to buy. <laughs> right. 
So instead, I had to replace this cyber deck, and I've got the old one on the shelf over here. I'm going to see if I can take it, open it up, and figure it out what failed. But um, yeah, well, you know, $540 unit protecting a, you know, protecting a $20,000 box. I guess that's a pretty good investment, but not, uh, you know, when you're when you're trying to budget and plan, and when stuff breaks, it sucks. So right. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> and people would say, well, what's so special about that? Well, it's basically a phase. It's a phased UPS. And um, it, it basically gives you the best best power you can even imagine to a piece of electronics. Clean. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which is important because there can be like a hum or those kind of things. Right. If you don't have your power run properly in yeah. your setup. Yeah, I had that issue, I think it was a couple episodes ago. Um, just the power wire came too close to my microphone wire. Yeah. But the the biggest challenge was getting, see, I've got it kind of, for those of you that have never seen pictures of the studio and watching live, in front of me, I've got an opening over here to the mm -hmm. left of me. It's pretty big. It's probably eight, nine feet. And then to the right of me, I've got another opening. It's four or five feet. And this used to be a dentist's office. So there used to be a, Dentist chair here, dentist chair here, next partition over dentist chair, x-ray room mm -hmm. across. And so the rooms are kind of, the, they're not traditional doors. They're kind of like people can walk into the cubby, right. I guess is the best way to say it. So right. I've got the, the main gearbox right down here and that entrance is completely blocked. So to get that unit out, I had, and of course it's got 500 wires come on. I think the wire bundle is about about that big wow. had to pull that unit out very 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 carefully just to get the room to get the box out and yeah fun fun yeah uh, yeah i mean getting getting a you know a, a studio set up is, is is not not easy you know i've i've had to do it off and on over the years and and home offices are especially i think to some degree a little can be a little challenging because you're trying to create an environment where you can work and right. and function and function very efficiently. But yet at the same time, I've been trying to push the envelope on trying to make it capable. I know it, you kind of have two places that you're doing. So you have your workspace right. and then you have your show space, which trying to combine them together can create, you know, but, some but for clutter. years I worked right. in this type of space, a little, that's right. Is your whole is, thing is right? my whole thing. Yeah. And where I did the studios right. where I worked, so right. I did the same thing. So I, now I've got the, and sometimes I come in here and do stuff too. So it's kind of weird, but yeah, I've got another space that is, you know, it's an actual, well, it's the front of the office is what it is, but it comes at a price, you know? So I, you know, I pay rent right. here and right. electricity and, you know, in, I was talking about that the other day, insurance, my insurance alone for this building for, I think I have it set and the way I did it was I told the insurance agent, I said, I want replacement. I don't want replacement. I, I want 100% replacement. So yeah. even if that machine's five years old and it costs X number of dollars, if this place burns down, I want replacement value. I don't want the, the adjusted right. depreciation. So you pay a lot more yeah, for, for that adjusted. type of insurance. Right. And it's critical though, because you know, if I lost this place, if it burned, 
number one, I have to insure the whole building because the other tenants are in this building. There's two other tenants. Mm -hmm. So if I burn down, they're going to be affected. So I have to be insured for them. And I have to be insured for me and my contents and for robbery and everything else that goes into commercial insurance, $1,600 a year is what that costs. It's expensive. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and there's certain rules like uh, if I take this laptop out of here, it's not covered. It's covered. It'll be covered in my either my renter's insurance or my car insurance, but it will not be covered right. by the premises. That was one of the things he says, you take this stuff anywhere. And I'm like, well, I, you know, I used to take a lot of stuff to like Vegas or whatever. So just so you know, when you, you, that equipment cross the threshold, you're no longer right. insured. Right. Now, if I wanted that, then it had probably you- been more money. <laughs> well, you've got a lot of expensive equipment in there too. If somebody were to break in and, you know, clean you out, that'd be, that'd be quite a loss. It'd be a big loss. <clears throat> yeah. So and that's why there's security. That's why there's cameras. That's why. Yeah. But still someone could bust a door in and, or break the glass and do a grab and dash and be out before the cops probably got here. But yeah, that's why. Hey, Todd, the, did you see, um, uh, this, this number, if you go to the Google podcasts app in the Android app store, you can see, uh, a number, and this is part of every mobile app that's available. Number of downloads. Android. Yeah. Yeah. How many downloads, um, Google is saying approximately, this is, this is an approximate number about 50 million plus installs that's awesome. of the, uh, of the Google podcast app. That doesn't surprise me in the least. Yeah. So I think that there's a lot more people they could reach, but that's, that's definitely a, a, a big number. Yeah. And well, we've talked about on the show why it may, well, until it can become an OEM install. Right. Then, you know, it's, we're not going to have this, you know, you're not going to get, 200, 300, 400 million people because it's, they have to physically load it, but still 50 million that have physically loaded the app. Even if they're listening to just one podcast, that's, that's pretty impressive. Yeah. And that's as of uh, March 25th, 2020. So I don't know what that number looks like right now, but it, uh, I'm sure it's significantly above that. Right. By now. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. And uh, I know, Todd, have you seen this this new recording platform called Riverside.fm? Mm, no. Yeah, but, yeah, I I got reached out to by the CEO of that company. And I guess what they're trying to do is create a, a recording platform for audio that's wow. um, what is being called un- compressed crystal clear audio locally uncompressed at 48 kilohertz wave format for every guest. So you call into this platform. I grant it's not a new concept right? doing this, but I thought it was interesting. You know, the, you know, it's the drill in on quality. There's a lot of people that are doing shows on zoom now, right? Yep. But what they're finding is that the audio quality coming out of zoom isn't always that great. Um, you know, and I think, but Squadcast has done a pretty good job of focusing in on audio quality. Um, I think uh, 
StreamYard uh, does okay with it, mm-hmm. but you know, you do have a, a, you know, a spectrum, you know, you're doing video at the same time you're doing audio yeah. and it's not always, audio is not always the top priority around the world of video typically. Yeah. So, so I don't know what your thoughts are on audio, uh, when you're producing a video, um, live version of your show and, and platforms that are good with that. People will forgive you for the video. They won't forgive you for the audio. Right. So, you know, I'm looking at this here and $15 for audio only per month, $29 a month for audio and video, $39 a month for audio, video, and live. That's pretty expensive. Yeah, it is. I agree with you. Yeah. You know, they do have some samples on their website of the, of the quality and I could actually play a couple. So are they recording it locally and then uploading it? Is that what they're doing or? I think essentially that's, that's what their tool does is it basically gives you a a web-based tool to, to record your episode locally and then, then it gets uploaded. Right. Well, at the same time doing live or whatever. Yeah. Right. Right. That's typical. And. And so here's a little sample of, um, of audio recorded on zoom. Now, granted, you know, your experience is going to vary with that depending on your microphone and, and bandwidth, but here I'll, I'll play a, play a little clip and then I'll compare it to what they're doing on Riverside. Welcome to riverside.fm. Your one stop for high quality remote audio and video recording. Create an account today with 60 minutes of recording. Absolutely free. Okay, and then here's one with the Riverside app. Welcome to Riverside.fm, your one-stop for high-quality remote audio and video recording. Create an account today with 60 minutes of recording, absolutely free. Subjectively Yeah, better. I know that that was a little quiet, right? But it did sound a little crisper. It did. But the question is, well, you know, we all know that if you, the, the, just like you and I, I'm right. always going to sound better than you are to a certain extent. Um, yeah. Cause I'm, I'm going over the network to right, you right. versus you doing it locally. Right. But still, I think all in all, the sound that we get is pretty doggone good. Yeah. I mean, there is a risk of what they call packet loss between yeah. this microphone and your system. Yep. Um, that, that can happen across the, the network. And that's, that, that's essentially what's happening. If you have any kind of dropout <clears throat> is that the network isn't passing the data. Um, it's losing it in its connection between here and there. And so, and sometimes, and sometimes I'll hear you, you know, you'll kind of waffle for a second. Right. And then it'll, it'll come back. Um, but audio it, the the lift to do audio is bandwidth wise is very very small. So well, compared to video, yeah, right. compared to so, video, yeah, right. And we're, what's our bit rate right now? Um, streaming video up. I mean, so when we're connecting uh, to so right now, I'm pushing because I've got three streams running. I've right. got live stream going. I've got YouTube live, and I've got. So on Wowza, I'm at 4230. On 
That's 4,000 kilobytes. You're right. And then on YouTube, I'm pushing... What did I do? I have to look over here. Let me look at the setting because I know what I pushed to YouTube. Let me click on this. Oh, same. I'm pushing 4,000 kilobits to YouTube. Mm-hmm. And live streams pushing 1.5K. So all total, we're, we're using about 10 meg up. I'm pushing 10 meg. So, and then you and I connection, it's on the same connection. So you're probably pushing half a meg. Skype's pretty efficient. So you're probably, and I'm probably pushing a half a meg back to you. So 10, 10, five is probably what we're doing. Now, when I was in Hawaii, I could not, um, I could do about seven re- reliably. Um, right. And then, then things would get funny. I wouldn't be able to do three streams. I'd do one to, to Wowza. And, but now I split YouTube out. YouTube gets its own separate push because I just didn't find the connection from Wowza and YouTube to be all that steady all the time. There was always issues. And then mm-hmm. what Wowza does is it sends it to, um, sends it to two Facebook locations to Periscope, which is Twitch or Twitter, sends it to Twitch. And um, yeah, so there's five destinations it's pushing to. And then, uh, so that's five, six. So we're live really in seven locations right now and monitoring really just about two. So I think... uh, Go ahead. So you're not using Wowza for all of the distribution. No, you're just doing it for for Facebook, other Twitch, than, Facebook, Twitch, and, and Twitter. Right. That's yeah. it. Okay. Yep. And then we we just share because I've never been able to get it to run correctly in New Media Show's page directly through a push, so I reshare to the New Media page. But <coughs> but overall. You know, knock on wood, things have been pretty steady here besides my little outage last week. Right. And I've got 20 up here, but it's 20 dedicated because it's a business line. I do get a guaranteed 20 up, so I don't share with my neighbors. That's the main difference between a business account and a residential account. Mm -hmm. Is I get a full 20 to the the high-speed node. As a matter of fact, I was talking about that with the tech the other day. Because I told him, I says, is because some, he says, you know, the only reason we would ever see a slowdown here is if they're having technical issues. He says each node has enough bandwidth to backhaul. Mm-hmm. And plus, most people don't push. Most people are pulling, so. Hey, Todd, when a new podcaster asks you, um, the, the question of frequency of publish and duration. Yep. Has your advice changed here no. recently? I tell them at least once a week. And my advice on length has always been when it becomes boring, it's time to, to stop. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Just tell them when it's keep them, keep it relevant. Well, and that gets back to uh, planning and preparation too, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, 
what's the goals of the of of the show too? You know, as you think about um, the these issues of frequency, duration, and how long a show should be, I think that they're all intertwined with each other. I think you have to figure out which what your goals are, what you're trying to accomplish, and and um, how much work are you prepared to do to come up with content. You know, like our last show, we dug a little bit at the end. We went, well, we, but I mean, that happens to us occasionally because right. things can get a little, I would say like today it's, it's, it's a little, you know, it's a little thin out there. Sure. Right. There's a lot of things going on still. I yep. mean, um, but are they significant to what's happening and, and what we typically do in this show? But, um, you know, sometimes we, we search and scrape for it to, to make a compelling program here, but you know, I think s- sometimes we get it right. Sometimes we, we don't, but I think any podcast is like that. Yeah. So I, I guess, you know, I, I, I think that, uh, we see long shows have huge success if they're compelling. Right. Mm-hmm. So I don't think that's going to change anytime soon. Um, so I guess, you know, have you, have you changed your suggestions? Oh, you got, a well, tra- you got a train going by. What is that thing? Like right out your back door? Yeah. Right. <laughs> um, the, um, yeah, I think somewhat it's, it's changed a little bit. I think, um, I do think that, uh, shorter content is is over time is growing more important to younger listeners um, because that's kind of what they're used to I think coming out of places like like YouTube mm-hmm. but it's the tug of war of you know value right if people are listening to podcasts for stories I don't know that short stories have as much value as longer stories have right so and if all podcast content are stories, then what are the value of short stories versus long stories? It's like what we did, you know, when we played the uh, Postal Service uh, podcast in last episode, right? Where we played an episode that was 59 seconds long. Can yeah, I, th- I thought that was a great example yeah. of the contrast between, let's say, even this show, right? And the stories that we tell on this show and the discussion and the conversations, um, you know, we couldn't have the show that we have here if we were doing a two minute show. No, Todd. I mean, <laughs> how many topics could we cover? Right. You, could, you couldn't, couldn't cut. I can't even say right. hello in a minute. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's right. So you have to be pretty, I think it's really hard to come up with valuable content. Um, that's short. I think it's harder than, than long. And I think, you know, I think for new podcasters, it may be easier to come up with fairly long content uh, because, and kind of like what we do with this show, it's a stream of consciousness. We're we're talking off the cuff, and that gets back to preparation too. I mean, I think people like to listen to us when we're not reading a script or we're not, you know, too outlined. Right. I think it it comes across as more genuine and real and. And longer is what falls out from that usually. Yep. So here's an interesting topic. What do you do when someone steals your album art for your show? (laughs) 
come up with new album art. <laughs> <laughs> I think what, um, and I don't know if it happened in this case, but I know of a show that was pretty popular, mm-hmm. <laughs> had their album art stolen. Rob, you, you should probably, do you know a little bit about this? <laughs> Uh, no, not that I'm aware of. Huh? Oh, you, you okay? So, uh, the feed, what happened? The feed, oh, oh, you're talking about the, the Lipson podcast, yeah, okay. So, um, well, there's always been other shows out there, other podcasts called the, the feed, yeah, so. but the feed's cover art, they use the feed's cover art for their show. Oh, really? The same one, exactly, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, a part of it, I guess, some of the design or something. And oh, okay. uh, anyway, so what do you do when someone has stolen part of your your branding? Do you have that art um, I'm handy look, there? I'm, I'm looking for it. Um, yeah. Oh, so it looks like maybe they didn't use the Outmark. They used it in advertising that they are doing album art. Oh, so maybe it wasn't there. Oh, oh okay. Yeah, so they used it as, as a sample. An example of, right. of album art for what they do. So maybe that, that artist man, was the one that created the album art. For, I don't know. This for, is a new company. This yeah. is a new company, so. Um, but, okay. Uh, yeah, anyway, I just saw something in chat about it, so I just thought I would. On, yeah, on I hadn't the, seen that, yeah. On the fly there. But, uh, yeah, so they're using the feeds cover art to help market their product. And then it says, unless these are the people who designed your cover art, question mark, so no one's responded, so. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I think that uh, cover art, though, if you think about it, a lot of people are using Fiverr and some of those other companies out there that, or some of those groups that, you know, I've had some stuff done on Fiverr before, and then I've had to really kind of, but I've always given guidance, and um, but I'm yeah, sure ninety nine design is another one. Right. I'm sure there's people out there that are, you know, getting some album art that you know is questionable, and you know, and some of it looks a lot the same because they reuse the same graphics again and again and again. Right. But you know, I know it makes a lot of people mad when you know someone says they're going over to Fiverr and they're getting a two or three pieces of album art done for, for 20 bucks. And then you've got graphic artists that are trying to make a living who are, and then, you know, someone over in, in India or the Philippines or someplace like that, that has some graphic skills where that's mm. good. You know, that's a good day's work for them. Right. You know, and considering the average person, let's say in the Philippines makes about $6 a day, you get a $20 album art order, you know, you've done three days worth of work. It's, you know, that's, that's good money. So we're here, you can't, you know, someone's going to do a day's worth of work to do some album art. You know, that's why a mark costs 300 bucks. Yeah. I get uh, messages on LinkedIn from people, let's say in India and some of these other countries around the world wanting to be like virtual assistants, right? things like that. And they're always saying, well, I'll, you know, I can do all this stuff. I can build websites. I can do all this. And it's only going to be $5 an hour or something. Right. Like that. Right. right. So, so, right. You know, I've, you know, I've got an internal company policy that we basically don't do that. 
we support people yeah. here in the United States and, right. and, you know, but when it comes to my personal stuff where, you know, I have to pay for it out of my personal budget and, you know, it's a little bit different. I understand why people do it, but, um, and, you know, and it, I, I know that people get upset when they, but I, it's, it's a viable, it's a viable you just have to be careful. It's a viable business. Now, what's the other one you were talking about, Rob? 99 what? Uh, I think it's 99design.com, which is a, it's, it's another kind of, um, design platform. Um, not unlike fiber where there's just a lot of artists that offer their services and, and they compete for your business. Right. So you, you put up a, a design concept that you want to have created and a bunch of <clears throat> these artists will basically pitch their designs to you for you to um, pay for them. Yeah, it wasn't 99design.com because that led to some Chinese site. It's 99designs.com. Designs.com, yeah. right. Yeah. Right. And then what do they, then each person pitches their price or... Well, you know, how does well, no, that, the platform has, um, has packages, right. Oh, that okay. have different, um, pieces, right. That you can get. So you, know, you can sign up to get a whole website, uh, package. You can sign up to get just a podcast package, that kind of stuff that has the square art and that kind of stuff. And what they'll do is they'll, or you can also sign up just for a logo. Right. So you can go in there and you basically specify kind of what you're looking for, what your colors are, your, the theme, the name, uh, what the, what the business is about and all that stuff. And the artist will come up with a design and they'll all send you like a, a little portfolio of different options. Right. And then you pick which one that you want. Uh, and then when you pick one, then that artist gets paid. Awesome. So it does create a situation where a lot of artists are basically kind of working for free to no. some degree. Yeah, because they're they're pitching <laughs> pitching right. ideas. Right. Yeah. As a matter of fact, that reminds me, I owe uh some gal I've asked to do some work, some images, because I'm gonna have some new and as a matter of fact, if there's any artists in the group and you want to provide us any kind of cool, you know, images for the monitor behind me. In the lower square, you know, we're always taking the, you know, we'll take those 16 by nine rendered images okay. and, and reutilize them here on the show. It's been a while since we've done anything back there. So I'm going to have, I think, three or four pieces made. And this right. is, you know, it's a group that, you know, it's, and I'm probably going to spend, I think I told her my budget was 500 bucks. So whatever gets me done, gets done for $500. Well, it's what we'll right. get. But it's not, you know, that type of stuff that I want to use. It's, it, you know, I could probably go to Fiverr and have someone mock right. some stuff up too. But I tr it's the same gal that did the design of the studio, so I'm going to have their team, right, do the do some album art study, or it's not album art, but basically stuff that's in the monitor behind me. I thought that you did that originally with the new media show uh, logos that we have today. I thought you farmed it out yeah i did now that one came from the one that's there oh where did that one come from i think that came from fiverr i think i had that done on fiverr yeah i think you did too yeah I think there was like three or four or five different yeah designs and of so that logo i'll show some of them that's one of them same color see here's another one new media show lower right for those of you that are watching 
There's another. So I think yeah, I've got I've got one, yeah, two, I yeah, I got yeah. three, four, five, about five designs. The black yeah. one is the one we like the best. Mm-hmm. What else do I have? Yeah, that's the one we've shared the most. I yeah. Think. Yep. And I've got some stuff left over from you know. Here's the you can't so maybe yeah I don't think you can see it. This is what the logo from before when we were the Saturday morning tech show. I know you can't see that, Rob, but it's that yellow. Yeah. It's got the palm trees. Yeah. Yep. I remember that. Yep. And then this one here was one we had. Yeah. So I had, and you, you what you'll see is people have re, I've seen other logos and I'm showing some of the new media show logos. You've seen some of these on other shows because again, they just repurpose. Right. So you're not necessarily always getting something that's that's original. Now, a lot of the album art I had done for Geek News Central came from listeners. But one specifically, right. one listener did about 90 different pieces. Yeah, and I know a lot of shows do that. They'll they'll throw it out to their 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 community to come up with some ideas and yeah. and oftentimes those get get adopted by the yeah by the show hosts. Yeah. Yeah, so I'm just going through some of them that were done for the show. Yeah, so I had, I think I'm, he's up to about 90 different pieces of album art for Geek News Central. And I use those for episode art. So each episode gets, well, every 100 episodes it rotates back, but, you know, it does provide some variety in episode artwork. Yeah. And, uh, you know, he just, he, he could see the themes and I'm walking through these and only the audience that's watching right now can see them, but you know, everything from microphones to a coffee cup to, you know, exploding G and you know, all kinds of, you know, stars, um, yeah. all kinds of different stuff. So yeah. And, you know, and I was very appreciative of him doing that because it gives the show some variety when it comes to to putting out album art in episodes now that ep that album episode art doesn't get carried through very many places right so yeah because i mean a lot of the platforms don't support it yeah right but uh you know every, a lot of stuff we're seeing done with the podcast index is supporting episode art because adam's a big believer in it they do episode art well they change their show art every episode right so show art and episode art. So, you know, what's funny is that I've been, I've been getting more questions lately about video podcasting. I don't know if Me you too. have too. Yeah. Yeah. Which, which is interesting. I, I wonder why, what, you know, why that's happening. What's driving that? Well, here was is a, it just, people just don't want to be on YouTube. I, you know, someone, there, I, there was a thread on Facebook you were on that I, that, uh, I responded to. And what was funny was I explained that this show, my other show, we do, we do YouTube live. And I think maybe on YouTube, we get 20, 30 views on YouTube for every episode. Right. Not very many. So, right. you know, or we are not YouTube stars <laughs> no. in no. the least. And then, you know, like today, five, six people on Facebook and, you know, some other guy was dogging me, 
Yeah, saying yeah, that oh, go go make another, uh, do another live where you've got uh, twenty people. Uh, you got that beautiful studio and twenty people watching your show. Uh, you, you know, basically call me out as a, you know, as a dumbass. You know, for 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 putting on these video podcasts, and I'm just like, so um, you just want to. Now that wasn't part of the Facebook thread. It was another thread that was in another group, and right. uh, so. For me, I've always said that the live is a place for us to get some interaction with the the audience. And Clinton has just uh, made a comment. He says, "Yeah, I'm, I do episode art, but I'm sad it does not carry through everywhere." So you know, here's you know, little commentary from the audience, and this is why we have the live. And yeah. but yet, as we talked about stats on the last show, you know, we get about. 80, 20, 80% that listen and 20% that watch, you know, if you think about it, I mean, even 20% of the distribution of the show is a, is a pretty big number. Yeah. So, I mean, our, most of our video views are coming through the video podcast, right? Yeah. Not um, through oh, Facebook. No, or, no. Facebook, well, you know, collectively, right. maybe if we're lucky, if we're lucky, including Twitter and they don't, and Twitter, they watch like six, seven minutes. They don't watch the whole show on Twitter. Um, maybe a hundred at the upper limit. Right. So someone was basically saying, he says, I, you know, on Facebook, he said, there was a disconnect. I'm like, because Facebook and YouTube is not the podcast delivered. That's just right. YouTube and Facebook. It's because it's, it's, it's not a podcast. No, there really. Yeah. And it's a completely different thing. Yeah. And anyway, I was doing the math with a guy just the other day. It was, he, you know, they're thinking about doing, well, they are like uh, going to do video and we're walking through the math. I was just very frank with him. I'm like, okay, what are your estimated total downloads? And he told me he thinks it's going to be 20,000 episode and considering the person that's doing it, it is. And so we did, we ran the math out and said, okay, how you know, how big is this? How long is yet? And it was basically about the, as long as us. And I said, okay, so you're looking at probably two cents or one and a half cents. And actually I, I discounted our bandwidth rate just a little. I try to help video podcasters out a little bit. So I, you know, I said, you're probably looking at a penny, penny and a half to deliver each download. And you multiply that by 20,000 and you get the number. Right. You get you get the, the cost. So, you know, I, I to do. Yeah. If you can fit your show um, in a. Um, um, what do you want to call it within their storage limits? I'm going to let you use the the flat rate plan. But most people right. can't do that. Now right. that that twenty, you know, that twenty thousand downloads of video is going to cost them about three hundred bucks to deliver that episode. So then we started talking about ad load, you know, and how much, and they think they can do because of the length of the show. They think they can do three to four ads. They're going to have no problem selling those. So let's say it's three three ads. Mm -hmm. And let's say he's getting twenty five dollars CPM for those, so you just basically take twenty, multiply that by seventy five, 
and that's fifteen hundred bucks. So fifteen hundred minus three hundred dollars for bandwidth costs is twelve hundred twelve hundred bucks profit if if they can fill it. They can right. fill, if they can fill the advertising. And I said, that's you know, that's your risk. And they're they're bound and determined to do video podcasts because guess what? They don't want to be on YouTube. They've been burned on YouTube. They were demonetized on YouTube. Right. And I said, here, you, you, there's another way you can do this. You could put this video up on Vimeo or you can go to some of these right. other paid services and you can and you, right. so you put it up as an embed on your website. It says, nope, nope, nope. I said, well, you can put the embed on the website to save money and have right. the podcast still linked as a, to the physical file. So I said, if you have two, 3,000 people that watched the video on the website. He says, well, my problem is now, he says, I can't get paid for that. I don't have IV certified stats. So those 3,000 views I'm going to get on the website versus being put on as a download, he said, I can't bill against that. I thought, oh, you've been studying. Well, because, well, Todd, I hadn't thought about this. How, how does the IEB certified stats impact video delivery? I hadn't, I hadn't thought about that. Well, we count it the same way as audio, but if you're putting an embed, a YouTube embed, Vimeo embed, whatever, mm -hmm. on your website, then you're going to have to work that out with your advertiser if you're going to be able to bill those views because they're not downloads anymore. You're going to bill the views based upon the yes. metrics mm -hmm. provided mm -hmm. by Vimeo or whoever you're using. Right. So they opted, the client I talked to, they opted to do... Um, have the embed delivered the same way an audio embed is on any podcast. So it'll, it'll deliver, it'll be able right. to be counted. Just like an audio. Just like audio. Well, right. right. And, and they're going to eat, you know, what if it's two, 3,000 downloads that they could have saved in, in billing because they're paying for bandwidth. Then, so video is, is comes with its, you know, there, there is a financial impact. Right. There's a cost. And that's why a lot of podcasters shifted over to distributing on YouTube. That's right. Many years ago. Yeah. But yep. there's still, I mean, the, you know, you can still do it on you some can. of the platforms, not many of the platforms like hosting platforms support video. Well, anymore. here's, here's the dirty little secret. Oh, you, you can do video on it on those platforms that support video until until you can't. Right. And, yeah. the, and the can't usually comes from, oh, you, we see you're being very successful. Right. We see you're running advertising in your podcast. By the way, uh, you need to be moved into a commercial account. Right. It can get expensive, that's why. Well, again, popular. again, yes, it can because you are you you are free, fat, dumb, and happy. Yes, unlimited episodes, right? Unlimited storage. You can do video wow. until you can't. Well, most of the platforms aren't unlimited storage when it comes to to video. Well, yeah. whatever their yeah. model is, right? You can until you can't. Yeah, that's true. And, uh, you know, Hey, we've always said, we've been straight up with our customers. We've said, Hey, you've got a, you know, you've got a commercial show. 
you're running commercial advertising, you're a business, you're not an independent podcaster. Right. So. That comes with the increased I get, I get companies that get mad, <laughs> dentists and lawyers and, you right. know, they said, hey, what's the plan for me? I, you're, I said, well, you're simple. You're a business. You'll be on the pro plan. Well, I want to be on this flat rate plan. I'm like, you're a business. You'll be on the pro plan. Right. Because you're a business. You're not an independent content creator. You know, we made these plans for independent content creators. Yeah. So... Yeah. And usually, and usually, this is what I, I, I find so ironic is that um, from a business standpoint, typically the business shows are using a, a decent amount of bandwidth, but their bill isn't extraordinary. Where you guys probably see it too, Rob. The, the ones that are using the most bandwidth are very successful independent shows. Right. You know, very successful independent shows that qualify to be on the flat rate plan. And, you know, you just, you just gulp. You eat it. You, you, eat it. Eat it. you know, right. but that's what business we're in, you know? So. Yeah. And it's a law of averages. And, you know, this, that's, this, that, that's why scale is so important. Scale. Yeah. But, you know, you guys and us, we paid the price to get scale to get the best bandwidth cost. And now right. it's a whole different ball game. You can get great bandwidth costs and not have scale. Right. You know. Which is why we're seeing, you know, a bunch of new companies right, right. getting into this medium. Yeah. Right. From I, a distribution perspective. I right. used, you know, when I started hosting, we we were paying like we had great bandwidth, but we were still paying like fifteen cents a gig. <laughs> you know, it's it yeah. was a whoa, whoa, that bill hurt. But what was yeah. funny is is my bandwidth bill. This is the funny thing. My bandwidth bill was about that big. I'm right. just holding up my hand here as a circle. And as we grew and drove more bandwidth, it fluctuated a little bit. But my bandwidth bill is about the same because I was able to drive the per gig cost down while we were growing the, right. you know. So the bandwidth bill really never changed too much. It, you know, it, it grows every year a little bit, you know. But um now, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, we'll, we'll give you this. And I'm like, no commitment. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have to sign for 18 months. And so from a business perspective, it's very interesting how it's changed. And, you know, actually, I, I get I'm a little jealous <laughs> because I wish I could have had those same. We could have built a, mu a company much faster. <laughs> right. <laughs> if I could have had those same prices early on. And that's why these small small these new startups you know they don't understand you know they don't understand if i told them they had to pay 15 cents a gig their model would change <laughs> right or they would never start or they would um, never stop yeah yeah the well what's interesting and i don't know that i have a clear answer to this is you know what is the dynamic that's causing the bandwidth costs to come down is it just is it because they're utilizing more of the dark fiber that's out there and well, I think people are just using more? I, I just, or is it because there's more competition in yeah. the data space now? I just don't know why the cost per gig keeps coming down. Well, I think it, um, it comes down to a certain point. You can get started today. Most, if you right. were to start up a brand new podcast host today, 
you could probably find penny or two a gig you could probably find it with having no bandwidth you could probably you might have to sign a commitment for that but you know i think that that competition then there's just more people yeah and it didn't exist that did not exist five six seven years ago that you know they laugh at you matter of fact here's what i do now is annually about june we go out to four or five companies and say, here's what I have to have to move to your right. service. Right. And we put yeah, that I mean, up I for get a bid. Pitched from CDNs out there on a regular yep. basis, yep. which is an interesting point because what we just went through uh, with AWS going down, uh, taking Anchor down. The, the other little tidbit to this is that most of the podcasts didn't go down. Right. Because um, they were on so CDNs. Yeah, because that that was that was a fallout from how content is distributed in this medium yep. is on other networks, right? Yep, that yep. are not necessarily hosted on AWS, or so even AWS those, has nodes all over, so the media gets pushed to right, yeah, right, different places around the world. Right, actually, right, right. there's different uh, Pops. hubs that are replicated, yep. so copies of your podcast files are shared across. Um, different nodes around the world to yeah. deliver locally. And, and the benefit of that is, is that um, those files can be shared, not over the internet, but over a more of a, what they call a local network, which um, those companies don't have to pay for that bandwidth. So like just a really good example, like an AT and T or a Comcast or whatever, those are considered local networks. Right. 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 So if you can store content on that network, right. And deliver it directly to your customer. Um, there's no bandwidth costs there because that's your network. It's, 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 right. it's analogous to a, like a home network. That's you why know? YouTube, right. Netflix, all the big players have machines in every major distribution right. pop. They're all, you know, they put machines in, in Detroit and Grand Rapids and Lansing and, uh, Seattle, they, you know, that way, once the popular YouTube videos that are, you know, maybe the top 5% all get shoved to those nodes. Right. It's the endpoints as well. And it's, and they pay for that file to get there once right? transit feed once, and then it's local. It's, it's free transit, like you said, because it's on an internal network. Right. And that's actually a big, um, methodology for why we're seeing the ability of the network to support so many video streams now. Yeah. Um, you know, you think about, you know, the pandemic and all this stuff and how much content is being delivered now it's exponentially grown. Well, one of the ways that that's happened, I, I believe is a combination of uh, black fiber. A lot of infrastructure was built uh, many years ago that was not being utilized. Um, and a lot of that, infrastructure was built on a, on a closed network basis. So, you know, a, a particular node had access to, um, more, more dark fiber to distribute directly on a network basis instead of over the internet. Cause that's where the costs are is when you're transferring yeah. things, but over the internet infrastructure. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's hard to un- understand this stuff and it gets very complicated at the node level about how this all works. But, um, 
that's that's probably Todd. The more I think about, it, that's probably a lot of the reason why cost of bandwidth keeps going down is because I think there's more uh, networks being built. So one thing I asked uh, the local Spectrum guy I said, "Where is the head node for this area? Where 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 is it go before it jumps off to the internet?" And he said, "Allendale, Michigan." And mm-hmm. I was like, "Okay, how does it get there?" And he told me he leaves here, goes to our node goes through Sturgis and then basically a town that's 20 miles away. And he gave me the route. Right. And so now right. when I want to do a speed test, there's an, there's a speed test in Allendale that I can check. Yeah, yeah. Which node do you check from? Right? Well, I can check the Allendale node and I know what the intra net is. I know what spectrum I, I know if I'm testing on at Allendale, I'm using right. spectrum lines to Allendale. Right. And then if I want to find out, okay, so I got that intranet speed. If I want to go further, then I, and I would expect my speed to drop if I go, then go to California or wherever and, and pick a node in California to test because I'm going through then here. I'm using going, the open internet. I'm using the there. open internet right. to get to California and then I'm bringing it back. So right. for right. me, when I'm checking to make sure the internet is working here, I check the Allendale node. And right to make sure that the intra and then i know if there's a problem beyond a lot of people don't know that because if you're going to call spectrum and say hey i got an issue well you need to know if it's on the internet or if it's outside of the net and sometimes there's problems outside of the intra net but um it's same most most people don't realize what's really happening uh when they connect in their connection to their provider what's actually happening right so and, it, and, and there's tools you can use to see how your traffic's routed and, mm-hmm. and there's things that you could actually do locally to force certain routes, but that's really a geeky, super geeky thing. Um, right. But if, going back to the CDN piece, you know, I always ask for a, a pop map and a pop map is basically the list of points of presence on where a CDN has data centers or where my data where my data gets pushed to in the cloud so from our perspective the way we work it well where where the media files are right, right where the media files are is we set an expiration right. date for the media in right. other words we when that media is uploaded to us and then we it's pushed to the pop we have pre-configured at the cdn how long it will be before we refresh the pop so it depends on the customer. So if the if the customer is a um, ad insertion customer and yeah. they're going to change their ads, I have a way to trigger the pop to grab the new media and right. redistribute it out to the media. If they're not an ad insertion customer, I treat that life of that media longer. Right. I can set it up there longer before we refresh and, and pull a, we pull the same copy oftentimes. Right. You know, but if I've got a piece of media that's five years old, there's no reason because I pay for that. I pay for that refresh on the pop. So I, that media that's five years old, I'm going to leave that out there for 30 days. It's going to set. Thought, right. I mean, isn't that, isn't there a potential of latency on that? Um, when you're doing a dynamic ad insertion, delivery of a, of an episode and it goes to a node, um, 
Does it ever, as far as you know, does it ever pass directly through there? And is that always, when that happens, is that always an internet? The the way our ad insertion works, there is no latency. But we specifically designed. So it must pass directly from your servers through that node directly to the customer then. Right. I can I can cash. trigger I can trigger an event when a file's okay. Let's say you've uploaded episode right. six and you put an ad in it. That goes up into the pops three hundred some pops. It's there's three hundred copies of that file sitting out in the globe. Yeah, but if it's a big file, it could take a take a couple seconds. Oh, to of course. Deliver that that right. first file might right. be delivered raw, and that's up to right. the CDN to take care of that. But right. they're gonna they're gonna cache that file up. So after the first pull, it or within a short amount of time, you know, it's gonna right. be out there sitting. So then, if you trigger an event to rebuild that file, because I don't do dynamic builds. The way we do our system is you build when you start a campaign, it builds the file, and there is there is a, it's yeah. one file. Right, and if it needs to create different versions of that file, it pre it pre builds pre builds right right. And so anyway, those are then, you know, we, we run some, whatever it is they run and we clear the, I think they call it flush the cache. Right. (laughs) And we flush it and we send that new media file out so that, you know, it gets delivered right away with that new ad in it. Um, by the way, it costs nothing to run a, um, uh, a podcast hosting business. So. (laughs) Well, plus that, that that process is. Uses more internet bandwidth. That's right. They cost me. They cost me more. The nodes. Right. It cost me more money every time I flush the cache. (laughs) Right. Uh, You're 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 populating a new episode out of all of the the nodes that are connected on local networks to deliver to the endpoints, which is the listeners. And I pay for that. I pay for all the nodes. I pay for the flush rate. All that stuff. So you know, in, in especially if you're, let's say, you're using. Amazon for storage, and then you're using somewhere else for a CDN, then it's a whole nother dynamic because you're going to, you're not only going to pay Amazon, you're going to pay the endpoint too. So, um, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But, you know, it, it all works. It's all magic. It, you know, it's just some settings in a thing. And, but, well, and if you're, I'm told, let's talk about this too. If you're self hosting, yep. let's say you're, you're on, um, some some website hosting platform, um, not on like a GoDaddy yeah. or Bluehost or somebody like yeah. that, and you're self-hosting your episodes, right? Yeah. You're uploading them to that server. Um, you may still be replicated across nodes. Uh, I mean, Todd, is it really that much well, different than a CDN? Yeah, really. I mean, it depends I mean, for on some of those hosting platforms. They're 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 distributed out to nodes too, right? So GoDaddy has a product that will. You're going to pay, but they will, they will cash your media in the cloud. But here's the, but they still look at load factor. They look at load factor, how much resources. Now, nine out of 10 times podcasters that get their basic host account shut down for, um, for hosting media. So let's, is not because like of video file or, or audio. audio is right. not because of bandwidth or overutilization. 
Oftentimes, it's not the case. It's resource overutilization. Server resource. Server resource. Processor. Right. And cache. Yeah. Caching and it, resource. And it right. usually happens when people get a, a little bit of a spike on a show. So right. if they've they push the episode, if they push the episode at the right time of day, that server may not be overloaded. Let's say you push it at 2 o'clock in the morning. And all the podcatchers go out and within two or three hours. They've downloaded that media. They did it in the middle of the night. Maybe the server is sitting there not overloaded. But what if they published at 9 a.m. or 5 p.m. and that server is getting max traffic already? Then you dump in this media file, which causes a connection. So basically, when you reach out and grab a media file, however long it takes you to download that, you you open you hold you're holding a port open for amount of time to download that, and where people get in trouble is all of a sudden Johnny's podcast on the five ninety nine Dreamhost account is all of a sudden holding fifty sixty ports open at once, and that machine maybe only have maybe has a thousand other websites on it and maybe they've only got the capability for a thousand ports to be open at once on that machine and what happens is they say oh my god johnny's using 60 ports resource or utilization flag cancel that's what happens nine out of ten times because that makes all all the other websites on that slow Server slow, right? Slow. Because they're all waiting for a port. To they're open. waiting for a port, and usually right. it's port eighty, and or uh, it's well, it's all on port eighty, but it's it's yeah. usually a request for a website, and it's open for three, four seconds. Boom, it, the port closes, right? And another port's available, and I guess that's a you know someone that's a IT guy is going to say, "Ty, you're not explaining it right," but that's essentially what it is, right? I mean. It, these things happen simultaneously. So, yeah. I mean, it's, yeah. So self, you know, and it, and it all depends, you know, if you're on, it, it, it's, it's really the luck of the draw. So when you sign up for a hosting account anywhere, GoDaddy, DreamHost, Bluehost, wh- wherever, right. um, where your site gets put, you have no choice. It's on a server someplace. It might be replicated, may not. What if you're on a site, what if you're on a server that has like 80 sites that are just kind of like being in maintenance mode or a thousand sites? Because there could be a thousand or 1500 sites on a server, single server. Mm-hmm. What if you're a thousand of those are just like sites that are in maintenance mode and hardly getting any traffic? You're probably going to get away self-hosting a lot longer because right. of the luck of the draw. But you all of a sudden. Control over that. Right. But all of a sudden, they do a rearrangement of that site, and they say, oh, we can put some more resources on here because let's, let's move this resource-intensive site over here because, and, and this is what you know, web hosts do because they want those machines running about 80% all the time. And they bring a couple of show, uh, sites over that are having more traffic, and all of a sudden, where you've run underneath the radar, you get flagged. I always tell podcasters it's not a matter of when or a matter of if, it's when. Right. And you may get away with it for a little while. 
of self-hosting. Hell, Rob, I self-hosted when I started my podcast, but I I had I think I had eight or nine different hosting accounts because I burned the bandwidth in three days on those. Well, Todd, I had to, when I got started, I had my own servers. I had two different data centers that I was building. I built my own servers right. from scratch and I, I installed them and managed them. And it sucks though, having your own I'm, stuff in I'm, a rack. You have to go three well, o'clock in the, in the early morning. Days, when I started doing this in you know, 2002 and 2003, my whole show was hosted on a, on a windows box <laughs> under a desk in an office, you know, that, right. that's kind of, that's yeah. kind of how I started and all this. And then I wound up, you know, getting rack mounted servers and building my own infrastructure. I, I ran my bulletin board system on a computer right. that stayed in my office the entire time. And I, it was a cat and mouse game with the ISP because I would firewall all of their servers. Right. I spent ex spent an extraordinary amount of time. I was on a non-commercial. So I firewalled every one of their servers that would ping my machine looking for open ports. And, right. and it would look like there was no port because I already had a firewall. I said, do not respond to this machine when it hit port 80. Because <laughs> if they hit port 80, they'd be like, send me an email. Hey, you're running an illegal server right. on our network. Yeah, and, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, a lot of the 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 ISPs out there now, right? The the Comcasts or you know those kind of folks, that Xfinity or whatever, wherever your cable provider is, they they really have smart tools now. That oh can yeah, if you're <laughs> got got a server running on their network, right? And yeah. They'll 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 limit your bandwidth and they'll cut you cut you cut you new you know. <laughs> You get, you get a, a new connection, right? <laughs> so that's uh, why I, cause it, you know, that was before they got super sophisticated. So I was, you know, right. and then near the end, all of a sudden I was starting to get hit by servers out of like Sacramento. They got smart and quit using the internal network. They were mm -hmm. coming from outside and it didn't last long. And basically I had to pull the plug because, but I ran under the, I ran under the radar for 10 years. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, that's how I started too. Well, it was actually in a business network is where how I started, you know, uh, running a server. Yeah, it was a friend of mine. It, it just set up under his desk, and he was running it off of his, off his corporate network, uh, where where you could actually get an IP address <laughs> right. to connect to the internet, right? Yeah, because oh, that was you couldn't really do it from home. Well, you could. Uh, there was ways. Well, <laughs> there was ways, but the bandwidths were so limited back in the early two yeah. thousands is when I was doing this and. And so I wound up building my own infrastructure. Plus, as my show got more popular, I had real bandwidth problems. Right, I mean, right. I mean, I was delivering a lot of audio, um, and it kept growing and growing and growing. And so I, I had to get my own ISP and my own routers and my, I think I was up to like six or seven servers. When I when I ran my bulletin board before podcasting, right, I actually, right. it was in a closet in an ISP. Right. And right. not like a server rack closet. It was in a closet. Right. It was. There was a lot of er early podcasts that, 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 that were run out of closets back in the early days. Right. Well, this wasn't my podcast. This was a bulletin board. And basically oh, yeah, I, I paid $300 yeah. for the, for the right to be able to plug into a 10 meg network cable. I didn't get charged anything for bandwidth, but I could, cause it was most of the bulletin board didn't use a lot of bandwidth, but. I, you know, you, you, I can tell some stories. 
Yeah. I mean, I, Todd, I mean, I mean, one thing <laughs> we never asked, um, Adam Curry was how he managed to deliver his podcast. Cause he had a pretty popular podcast. Well, how does he still manage to deliver his podcast? Because he doesn't use a CDN even today. Right. So, yeah. you know, I mean, it's, I mean, I had to build my own infrastructure and I was actually hosting other people's stuff. So I was like an early kind of right. blueberry or Lipson. Right. But I was doing, um, streaming back then. So I had streaming media servers, you know, like from real, yep. r- real networks and windows media. Um, so I was how, doing a lot of streaming. How many, how many, days. how many three o'clock in the morning runs to the server farm did you have to do? Well, towards <laughs> the end, it got, got, got a little nasty because, uh, my servers kept getting hacked. Oh. So it started to get, you know, you know, I had, I had a pretty advanced router that, that, that was running, in front of this stuff, firewall type router that was running in front of it, but they would still get in. And occasionally one of my servers would get, um, hacked as a <laughs> slave to host, because, uh, video files. Because everyone was looking for computers to hack. So they didn't have to pay for their own server racks. <laughs> right. That and, and bandwidth. Too. Right. So, right. So I had a dedicated, I had a dedicated T1 line right. to my, servers, which if you think about 1.5 megs, right. 1.5 megs up and down. down. So it was, you know, (laughs) asynchronous. So, but back then that was a lot of bandwidth. That was big. Uh, Right. Uh, You paid a lot for that. If I could be like, you know, 1500 bucks. Right. Right. Now (laughs) you think about 1.5 megs up and down and it's like, huh? (laughs) Yeah. That's, you know, that's, I I complain about, I've got three megs up and 15 down and I, you know, I'm paying $90. It still sucks. (laughs) <laughs> right. Right. So that's what we, we were dealing with back then. So, I mean, a lot of the audio that I was distributing back then was at like 16 K, you know, I mean, you think about most people listen to podcasts now at 96 K or, or more one, or even 128. Yeah. Right. Right. And back in those days, 16 K, uh, <sighs> even delivering audio to mobile phones in the early days, um, you, you could be down in the eight to 10 kilobytes per second. Um, audio delivering to mobile devices in the early days of this medium. When I was running the bulletin board in the early days, I would rewrite the batch files to optimize memory. And if mm-hmm. I could get three, four, five hundred, six hundred bytes of savings, that was like backflips, you know, because, you know, 300 bytes, right. you know, and right. you look at the memory nice. load. You know, and you got another 300 or 500 or if you got a 1K. Yeah, that's a third of a kilobyte. That, that right. because the way the chips were designed, you, you the memory would stack in. And if you got to a certain point, there would be so much of a chip left unused, right. you know, because it couldn't, it had, you had to put everything in the way this computers were. So for me, it was all about optimizing the memory. We don't need compression we, and, we don't even yeah. we don't even care about any of that anymore yeah, yeah i mean <laughs> i mean you did to scrunch stuff down right and Pretty. this is not windows this is running something called qemm and desk view and you know right. running four yeah. you know trying to get eight 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 lines to be able to answer on a modem and <laughs> right but and not have it crash we've we've moved beyond all, all, thank all that thank god stuff. And, thank and god people People wonder why the type of people that were involved in podcasting got podcasting off the ground. Yeah. It's because we were all a bunch of geeks. <laughs> we were 
playing around with technology. We, we were trying to un- understand what's going on. I mean, the show that I did was about the future of the internet. That, yeah. that was my podcast. Reboot the computer a hundred times in a single right. day to get an extra 300 bytes of memory. Because right. of so the- <laughs> we were all trying to figure it out, trying to understand it, trying to shape it, trying to make it work for us. Cause we were all excited oh. about what the potential was, but yeah, it, it was a lot of work in the early days. So, I mean, I took lots of trips up, up to my CDN, my, my, you know, because my server would get hacked or something like that. I was going to uh, show you two things here. I got two things on the shelf. Let me, let me grab them so the audience can see. Yeah. So those early days in this medium were were unlike what we we experience today. I mean, it, so, and it's and it's just it's just technology as it evolved and developed. So Rob, um, now I'm going to flip it on its side so you can see what this is. This is a modem, but look right. at the speeds on there: <laughs> three hundred, twelve hundred, and twenty-four hundred baud. When I bought 24K. this, twenty-four K. Yeah. Yeah. 2,400. Yeah. 2,400 K. So when I bought this, this was $365 and I could get 2,400 2.4 K of bandwidth through this thing. Now that I was top dog that, that thing rocked. And then later on, I went to us robotics, paid $1,200 for the modem and got 56 K Right now, <laughs> that was screaming back then. And, Twelve. You know, Todd, do you remember the dual fifty-six K modems that, I, that you used to be able to get for your computer? I had eight modems. They cost me twelve hundred bucks a piece to get right. for fifty-six K. So that wow. that now here, <laughs> here's the other one. I don't have the original, but this is a. Oh, this drive. is the first hard drive that went over one gig. This is a 1.2 gigabit hard drive. It's made by, uh, I, uh, who is this? My, my, Right. This is the third one of these that I had. Cause the first two failed and were replaced via warranty. Now people would say you had a hard drive replaced under warranty. Well, considering that this hard drive at 1.2 gigs cost $900, Right. <laughs> and it's just one gig. One gig. Think about that. Think about that. This, yeah. I, I was king. I was king when I finally was able to afford this and spin it up. And I had to put multiple, because you could only have like 256 or something. So it was like drive C, D, E, and F. Right. 32 gigs. It's 32 okay. gig and cost you 10 bucks. So, right. you know, this is what I ran for right. years to run a bulletin board system right. and have shareware on it and have people dial in that I, I, I still though, I, I cringe right. <laughs> when I think about how much money I, I no wonder I was broke yeah. <laughs> when I was younger. Was expensive it was then. crazy. Yeah. You know, it was, I mean, that's why I built my own, servers. I mean, I, I would go down and buy motherboards and I'd buy a, a, a rack <laughs> or a case and I'd put them together myself. I can't believe people know? still buy, people right. still build their computers, but the first hard drive I, I don't got, think th- I mean, Todd, I don't think that people really build their own. I don't think so. Anymore. Not too much, 
But the yeah. first hard drive I had was a 64 meg hard drive. It was an, it right. was the format was RLL. Whoever the hell knows what that means. 64, 64 megs in a Commodore Colt was the first right. hard drive. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember my dad brought home a, 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 a windows computer in the early, this is in the eighties. And he was all excited because this the, this IBM desktop computer had 20 megabytes of memory in right, it. Right, right. And I think he paid like $1,500 for this computer or $2,000 or something like that. I think the then. first computer I had had 128K of memory with an expander board right. that was about that big. I mean, 20 megabytes <laughs> of, of memory was like huge back in the 80s. Oh, yeah. How far we've come. Everyone's right. laughing at us, Rob. I know, I know. But <laughs> and I I mean here here more recently I got um I'm getting more, you know, Gary Leland. I don't know. I mean a lot of people listening to this know who Gary is, but Gary is a longtime podcaster and in the podcast hall of fame too, but he's he's gotten all into Bitcoin lately. Yep. Yeah. And and so <laughs> So I've been kind of dab, dabbling around with it too, and and I got what's called yeah you know, I started buying buying some Bitcoin right. myself, and he recommended that I go out and get this little storage device to store my Bitcoin right. as I buy it. Right? It's 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 called like a Bitcoin sure. or a or a cyber uh, wallet yep. of sorts. Yep. Is what it's called, and and the, the one I have is called Trezor. Yep. And it basically looks like this. It's actually a little, like a little USB yeah. type yeah. of type of device. It's kind of hard to see, but um, it basically is a wallet for uh, cryptocurrency. So, so you want to hear my story about Bitcoin? What's that? So I bought some Bitcoin back when it was like two bucks. Right. And I think I bought... $50 worth. Right. So when the heyday, when Bitcoin got up to like, started getting over like 10 grand, I'd forgot about it. My daughter came and said, dad, do you have, you have any Bitcoin? And I was like, mm, yeah, I do. <laughs> yeah. And she goes, you know, it's like over $10,000. I'm like, what? <laughs> so <laughs> Rob, I, I had now. a box of hard drives a brown box of hard drives. And that Bitcoin was somewhere on one, one of those hard drives. Hard drives. Right. And um, finally I got narrowed down to like two drives it could be on. And one of them wouldn't spin up. Oh boy. I sent that hard drive off and had spent $800 to have that drive recovered. Right. To get my Bitcoin. Did, did you get it? Yeah, I got it? my Bitcoin. So, oh. Rob, your little storage unit, yeah, <laughs> that should go in a safety deposit box. <laughs> I know exactly. <laughs> Some place on it, yeah. Well, There's nothing they, on it yet because but. here I'm sitting on fifty thousand dollars worth of Bitcoin, right? <laughs> and it's on a hard drive that won't spin no more. <laughs> That's the problem. <laughs> because really, is, all. All you had on there was a string of uh, probably a couple strings of numbers. That's all. It's just, you know, right. the 
Yeah. And you know, it's, it's your wallet, your information. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you it's, know? Your, it's your key to right. unlock the Bitcoin yeah. on the network. Right. right. So finally, you know, I got that Bitcoin back and I sold some, you know, but it's just like, <laughs> you know, you're, you're like, I got 50 grand on this hard drive and it won't spin. You know, it's like, oh my God. You know, it's like, right. <laughs> like yeah. Fort Knox. And there's people that have lost literally millions of dollars worth of Bitcoin because they bought it early. Mm-hmm. And they and didn't store it properly. didn't store it properly. It. It's, right. Well, they, they, they stored it. It's gone in the ether forever. They cannot. Oh, because the storage device they used. Didn't, right. Didn't they can't recover properly. it. Right. So. Yeah. That's the problem with anything <laughs> digital when you really yeah, think about it. I mean, how, how long do any of our audio files last, right? It depends on where we're storing it. Yeah. Uh, what's the medium that we're using? Same with sort of, I mean, like I've got anything. a bunch of old, old episodes of my, my old radio show. Um, they're stored on servers, but you know, technology changes. I mean, I had a lot of it burned to DVD in the early days or CDs. Um, probably a lot of those CDs aren't even readable anymore. Um, so I've, you can lose stuff. Yeah. I've, I, I've made a dedicated effort to move a lot of stuff that was on CDs and DVDs that I burned years ago to move it on to, uh, network attached storage devices so that I have redundancy, but you know, and I crossed two servers and then backup hard drives. And you know, when I was living in Hawaii, I used a, um, method where every month I went to my bank and I put two hard drives in the safety deposit box and took two hard drives out and went home and backed them up. Backed them right. up. So now I've got two locations. I just do it here. I just, you know, I have the backup here and, and there's a backup at the house. So I, you know, I can have a redundancy that way. I mean, uh, cause is there really any permanent storage for digital no. of any kind? And well, you know, you could Amazon cloud storage or something like that. Matter of fact, I yeah, think but you have to keep paying the bill, right? But cloud storage is really cheap. Yeah. I mean, uh, cold storage is really cheap. Yeah. Right. You have to pay for the storage, but you know, you could probably with cold storage, it's designed to be repository. So there's something you're only going to access in case there's a dire emergency. In other words, your house burns down and your hard drives are slag. Right. And then you're going to, you're going to be happy to pay to get that media out of cold storage, but Amazon cold storage, you can store many, 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 many terabytes for almost no money. And you just, the key is it goes there and it stays there and you need to, you know, in case you die, someone needs to know that that stuff is, you know, where it's stored. Is, is there. It's there. Right. And the access codes or whatever is like part of your will or something like that. Yeah. I have an envelope. But the, yeah. That has yeah. the keys to my key lockers, basically for my, something happens to me, there is a envelope that's got those usernames and passwords and stuff in so someone right. can get into it. I mean, this is a bigger question for um, the, the persistence of the data that we generate in our lifetimes. And I think this is going to be an issue that's going to keep coming up more and more as as people create content in the digital realm um how are our ancestors or how are our future relatives going to be able to access information about their 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 great grandfathers or grant you know like us todd we've spent many years of our life creating online content right um 
it, are our ancestors going to be able to access that? Maybe they don't care, you know, to access that, but some will. Well, there's, right? you know, there's, you know, there's a lot of people that do an incredible amount of work in, you know, tracking family trees and getting history and stuff that was not available that, you know, that wasn't digital right. and that, you know, we, we owe a gratitude and debt to all those people that have digitized birth certificates and stuff for, you know, the stuff that was old and they had a right. fire here in my town where the courthouse burned down right. and they had hundreds, a hundred plus years of materials that were not digitized that went up in flames. And right. so now we're in the modern world, everything's digitized, but yeah. I think there's, that, there's new dangers in that too. Right. You know, so we have, you know, there's companies that are being formed or have formed to be able to store stuff. But again, well, my great, great, great grandchildren even care to go back and, you know, cause we're creating so much data. They could spend a lifetime reviewing it to consume it. Right. Yeah. Right. So I think it is something to think about too. You know, I mean, like I'm holding this little USB drive, right? Right. right. Um, people can store, you know, 32 gigabytes on a little device like yep. this. Um, you could put tons of pictures on here, right? From your, your, your past that maybe your ancestors or your future relatives yeah. might want to be able to if look they at. Can, if they can read the USB stick and a device. Well, yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I don't know if USB 3.0 is going to be supported 50 years from now. No, probably not. So will unless there it's be any, any devices that will exist in the future that will be able to enable this to be displayed. I'm sure they're going to probably be a whole niche industry in reading those files 50 years from now. But, you know, I, I really think what it really boils down to, though, is I don't care. When I'm dead, I'm dead, right? So yeah. all I can do is be able to prepare the data that I've created and put it in a place where it can be stored, where I feel the highest amount of potential success of it not going away as long as the bill's paid. Right. So, you know, probably in my, you know, something I should probably consider in my will and estate is a, is a fund just to pay for digital, digital maintenance, you know, to store, to basically make sure that the digital stuff I've created stays online. Yeah. I think there's probably businesses out there, oh, I'm sure. companies that have been formed that are thinking about this stuff and doing active things with it. But I, you know, I just um, look at the amount of data that we store, you know, so we take, um, all of the podcasters media, all of our customer, well, we store it for a certain amount of time, but mm -hmm. for years I had, um, cold storage of everything that was created. Even when customers canceled we kept it in cold storage, but that right. bill got to the point where I had to really reconsider that because it become a well true true bottom line issue so we didn't you know now we have us we have an i won't say it publicly but we have an internal storage policy now on how long we keep podcasters and media that quit right so why don't you define for us what you consider to be cold storage when you talk about data storage and cold storage is you can't get that on demand 
it, it's basically on a tape in a in oh, a it's big on tape. Oh not, yeah, not solid state. No. Okay. Well, how I don't know how Amazon does it. They call it cold storage. It is not readily accessible. You have to if you make a request for media off cold storage, it's a couple hours before you can get access to it. It's not so an what instant. What type of medium are they storing that in? Either hard drives or tape. Tape. I doubt if they're using tape, Todd. Tape Would is. Would they be using tape? Because I wouldn't be surprised because you can store a lot on tape, and again, it's pretty pretty stable. Maybe it is SSDs. Who knows? But it's it costs What's, so little. It has to, you know. It has to be some cost. Maybe it's just a hard hard drive. I, it's it's hard to say. But uh, you know, probably it's also go on a the, cost issue too. Yeah, you know, again, cold storage on Amazon. Let me just bring it up. So yeah, I did a search in Google under um, best long term data storage with the, I, I don't know if there's anything that you've seen hardcore data preservation. So is, is one thing that comes up here, how to store your data for long periods of time. Well, there's books that have been written about it too. Uh, let's see here. Now, here we go. How to store your data forever. There's a, there's a title of something. Yeah. So let me see here. Cold storage on AWS. Right. Cost calculation. Oh, go, go yeah. ahead. Uh, go ahead. This says offline storage has limited shelf life due to both media aging and technology obsolescence. Right. The volume of data has rapidly outpaced uh, write once, read many storage solutions like optical storage medium, CDs, DVDs. Um, those are very vulnerable storage medium types. So um, they, they call it glacier. It's not cold storage. Cold so glacier. glacier. So it cost 0. 0.004 cents per gig per month. So... If you want to retrieve, expedited is three cents a gig. Standard is one cents a gig. Bulk is point zero zero two five. And um, but again, it's uh, so if you do that, if you do the math on that, so one terabyte is a thousand gigabits. Let's see here. So a thousand. Times point zero zero four equals four dollars a month for a terabyte. So considering my, um, I mean a terabyte's a lot of data, but it's it's not a lot of pictures. It's yeah, it can be utilized pretty pretty fast in yeah. these days. I think that I've got. <coughs> Of course, a lot of her pictures are on iCloud now. So let me see if I can find out how much. Well, and as the quality goes up of video, and as the quality goes up of right photographs, you right, get two, three, four megs of, or five right. megs of image. And as audio quality goes up too, I mean, I think that there's a lot of pressure in the podcasting space to increase audio quality, which is pushing that envelope too. I think more, I'm seeing more and more people doing 256 playback 
Yeah. Uh, let's say eventually this mediums fully supports music too. Um, you know, you can see it pushing higher. Um, yeah, I think I've got about close to 250 gigs of just pictures since I started digitizing pictures. So, you know, so you can, you don't have to pay this in glacier storage. You put that on a hard drive and then you just remember every three, four years to. Yeah. Okay. I just found, you know, some information. Theoretically, a modern SSD drive, and that's a solid state drive, not a, not a drive that spins or anything right. like that. It has any kind of motion inside of it, which um, can cause failure. Yeah. Um, it's also a little more expensive, could last anywhere from 20 to 50 years without being powered. Uh, it says the data retention, you will want to have, um, a trusted source like tape tape or, um, hard disk drive for now, but, um, can data be recovered from an SSD? Uh, yes. From the first SSD failure many years ago today, there have been recovery scenarios um, due to accessing those chips. So, you know, probably the majority of folks out there probably has four, five, six terabytes of digital data. So I do believe that you can go to like Costco and buy large solid state drives now. Or you buy a spinner. But you just got to remember every five years. You got to buy a new one. And copy that media over. You know, we've had. Especially if those drives are using maybe old um, connectors. I I have IDE drives I can still run up. I've got a special box for it. Stick the IDE drive in and it'll run it up. And, you know, IDE's been around now for, oh my God, what, 20 years? 15 years or more? So I think it's more to do with the connector connections right. is, is another area of vulnerability. Yeah. But, you know, still, you know, it's all about where you're storing it and, you know, what protection is it in the ESD bag and you know, all that stuff. I don't think there's right. any, but if you truly want, it's, it's, I think it's a multifaceted approach and we're way over time on the show, by the way. Um, it's a multifaceted approach. Have a hard drive backup, have a, you know, have, if you, if you want to make sure stuff is temporarily in the cloud, use some sort of cloud storage for backup. Right. I do all of it. I do both. I do Glacier. I call it cold storage, but Amazon calls it Glacier. I have, uh, temporary stuff from through Carbonite for my computer. So that's just kind of like an immediate backup. That's just all the time monitoring stuff. I have stuff on a NAS and I have, I actually have two NASs and then I have backups of the NASs. So if you come up with a strategy, I don't think you're going to have a problem, but most people don't, most people don't even think about it. Right. I think a lot of people are really reliant on these uh, cloud storage platforms, you know, like Google cloud, Apple cloud. But sometimes your masters don't get saved. If you're not paying for like Google photo, then a derivative of the media gets stored and not even the master file gets stored in the cloud. Right. Because it's smaller. It's smaller. It's a smaller file. Right. Right. So it's not the full resolution. Usually the full resolution only lives on your, 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 your picture taking device. 
But, you know, have a plan too. make sure that if you have some of these storage locations that your significant other or family member knows so that if something happens to you, they know where they can go retrieve it before your credit card gets shut off or, you know, the annual fee isn't paid. I know it's just another thing, right, to deal with. (laughs) It's, It's just like, like when my dad died. You know, this, the, the hardest part for my mom was where did he put stuff? You know, where did he put the key to the lawnmower? No, he didn't keep it in the lawnmower. He had it on a nail someplace right? and she couldn't find it. You know, it's it's that kind of stuff right? that causes, you know, when you're dead, there's probably a lot of that happening right right now, you know, with COVID. But also think about what happens if you, if, been going on for a long time what happens if you die today and you have all your photos backed up on cloud guess what you need to to be able to pull it back the password you have a a the way to access this is through your face recognition (laughs) so you know you better someone better know your you know you better have a way to give someone your apple id and password right my strategy is i use LastPass. I have everything, yeah. all my credentials in LastPass. And I have the password to LastPass right. in an envelope, you know, to be opened upon death that gives them access to LastPass. Right. Where all those master passwords are at. And what's there? Yep. My life insurance policy, login and paperwork, all that stuff. Right. That's smart. <laughs> When you were in the military, when I was in the military, Rob, and you're getting ready to go off and you know, they're going to be shooting at you. It makes you think about these kinds of things. It does. <laughs> so it kind of held over. We went way off track on the show today. So you, you guys have heard us talk about cold storage and yeah, all oh, kinds yeah. of stuff. Well, it's, it's all, it's all relevant as we think about how, how we're going to long-term store our episodes that we're creating. Well, um, it's amazing how many people come to us two or three years after they've canceled their show and said, Hey, have you got my media? <laughs> right. And at this time I can say, no, I, I don't. I used to be able to go way back because right. we had kept it on a, you know, internal store a server at the company. And I, I just can't do that no more. It's just <laughs> the amount of data is incredible. Well, I, can, I mean, if you think about it, I mean, if you have children um, and they grow up, and they and you pass away, which right. is all going to happen to us. Yeah, eventually. we're all we've, we're all marching to you know we're we're one step right. closer to the grave every right. day. Right. I mean, <laughs> you know, who knows how much we'll actually be listened to? But right. um, there may be a possibility of your great grandchildren wanting to listen to their grandfather. That's right. You know, talk and get to know him mm-hmm. because him or her because they did a podcast. Right. It, and one of the things I did, Rob, that I cherish significantly is I did a series of interviews on video with my right. grandparents on both sides. Yeah, I probably got 40 hours of each. And I just right. let them, how did you meet? What did you do when you are a kid? All this stuff. All this right. stuff that would have never, there's no way that would have ever been captured. Like, you know, family members pass away. It's, it's in the, all this is lost. So it's just right. like this, you know, they, it's from first person, them doing a complete data dump. 
I get to hear it one time at least in person. And then, you know, then my kids, if they want to listen to it. So it, 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 most podcasters, you've got the means, record your grandparents, your relatives, and do this as a side project just so you have this family history. Because we all heard the certain stories from grandparents about this or that. And, you know, but did you yeah. really ask them? You know, how did you meet, uh, you know, how did you live? They were depression era. So, you know, they had some real hardship stories about being right. poor and, you know, and trying to eat and, right. you know, those things that um, many of us don't have to even contemplate. So, I mean, it is, you know, it's interesting to think about what is, what is priority when it comes to content like that around what people will have an interest in, in the future, right. Mm -hmm. About your, your life. And I think people tend to gravitate towards pictures and video yep. primarily, yep. right. As the type of media that, um, we as future family, right. Uh, would have an interest in, I don't know that as many people would be as interested in listening to audio. Um, I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting question. I guess if you don't have a lot of video, then audio is the only thing that you got. But it's still, it's, yeah. it's, you know, it's one of those things where you, I would probably pay a lot of money to have been able to hear the story of my great, yeah. great, great grandfather who migrated to the yeah. United States. Right. And that story, the, you know, the, you, you never were able to have met. You know, right. you see the paperwork, you see where they come into Ellis Island or wherever they came in. You've, you know, been right. able to do that trace where they've lived and you find right. out, you know, Ancestry.com, pretty damn incredible. If you, well, that's, that's probably where some of this stuff does, could reside. Could reside you know? Yeah. But again, you got to pay and Ancestry.com is a couple hundred bucks a year. It's not cheap. Right. <laughs> you but know, can you store things like that? You can on put up stuff on it. Yeah. Uh, and do they guarantee storage? Uh, I, I don't know. You know, what happens when you cancel your account? You know, that's. Or, or what happens if Ancestry goes out of business? Right, right. right. Yeah. But, you know, and we've got family members that are, you you know, four or five of us that have Ancestry.com accounts. And we're all like, we're able to link stuff up and one person's work helps the other. And. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You just, it's, it's pretty amazing resource. Yeah. Worth, worth the money if you're into that. Yep. Well, we should probably yeah, say goodbye. Yeah, get out of here. Yeah, we're at hour 46 right. minutes. You guys hung with us, so we must have had. Wow. So Rick says, I figure if my kids don't want to listen to anything I say now, they won't listen 20 years from now either. You know, Rick, people's <laughs> perspectives change. <laughs> yeah. When you get to us, they get, they change. They really, really do. You think about how you were, you were 18 years old. You didn't care what your parents did. Yeah. Yeah, but but when those eighteen year olds turned into forty year olds or fifty year olds, interest. then they're like, yeah. hmm, you know, or yeah. you lose a family member, right? You right. know, and then, then their perspectives change. So things could change a little bit, right? <laughs> Rick says, "I've thought about this a lot. How I can preserve my data for prosperity? At the end of the day, nothing is forever, except maybe diamonds. If you're a James Bond fan, <laughs> <laughs> diamonds are forever, right? That's right. Yeah. So, uh, what are you guys using for?" your prosperity? How are you storing your prosperity? How are you storing your podcast prosperity? Have you thought I would say about it? A lot it? of people probably don't even think about it much. I think, I think more people do than maybe what 
we will give credit, but I'm kind of curious. So? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think okay. this is something people think about, especially digitally connected people think about this. Okay. So maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Todd, maybe more, more need to, right? Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, it doesn't cost anything to run a podcast hosting business. Right. We have to keep reiterating that. Right. I wish my customers only cost me a buck. (laughs) Maybe someday they will, Todd. Uh, Doubtful. All right. Todd at blueberry.com at geek news on Twitter. I'm on Twitter too, uh, at Rob Greenlee. And you can send me an email if you want. Uh, send it to Rob G at Lipson, L-I-B-S-Y-N dot com. And uh, have a safe weekend, everyone. Stay out there. Be careful. Um, take care of your loved ones and your elderly. We'll see you yeah. back here on Wednesday at 3 p.m. Eastern, Eastern for another edition of the New Media no- Show. Noon Western, right? That's right. All right, everybody. See you later. Bye-bye. Okay, bye.